Welcome to the Big Kickoff League of Ireland podcast with myself, Roy Shanahan, and Nathan Doyle, of course. And this week we're joined and absolutely delighted to have Sean Connor, former League of Ireland manager. Sean, welcome to the show. Delighted to have you on. Thank you very much. Uh, no I get problem. Former, yeah, well, I'll tell you why we're going to say former, because you're going to have to do a little bit of explanation here on Galway United and then Africa. That's a, it's a, it's a huge <laughs> jump, isn't it? Oh, and <laughs> we'd love to know how you, how that transition happened. Okay, okay. Well, you want to know about it now? Oh, go, Oh, I'd love it, I'd love it. <laughs> Been waiting all week to hear this, Sean. <laughs> Great. Uh, it actually happened because I got really fed up with, with Galway uh, and not getting paid. You know, myself and the players went three months without getting paid, but yet we put we put a team on the park every week. And I was sort of really almost harassed out of the club at Galway United. It was a disappointment. And that totally, de- totally really deflated me. And then out of the blue, uh, an agent, a guy from Cork, actually phoned me and said, would I be interested in going to Africa? And I thought, listen, do you know what? It can't get much, much worse than Galway United. <laughs> so oh, God. I, I flew to London. I met the people, and they were really, really good. And uh, with, within about three weeks, I was, I was arriving in Harare. And uh, the big problem was, unfortunately, the, the owners of the football club didn't tell my assistant manager, who until 24 hours before I arrived, was the manager that I was coming in. No way. That's Jeez, unbelievable. That's unstart, isn't it? Yeah. And and so obviously you wouldn't have known too much about the league. You wouldn't have known too much about the football there. So how did you pick that up? How did you g- gain knowledge? Right, this is my rationale. And I thought to myself, do you know what? Football's it's an international game. The game is the game. You know, yeah. it's played on the same size of pitch. It's played with eleven players. Uh, okay, there'll be cultural cultural differences, but that'll be exciting. And I thought it was going to add to my CV and show a willingness to go and embrace and engage with other cultures and a willingness to put myself out there. And the football side of things was absolutely, was the easy part. Right. Uh, it was the cultural, you know, the the traditions. Uh, like when I first went out there, my attitude always was, as, as a coach and with my coaching staff, our job was there to make the environment for the players and, and to service the players and be there for the players. Whereas in Africa, there's almost that sort of, cultural thing where if you're a boss you're a boss so when i first got there i'd be at the training pitch for half eight setting things up the players would arrive at quarter past nine and the rest of the coaches wouldn't arrive at 10 o'clock oh way so we had we had we had issues around that but listen the quality the the quality of the players were fantastic the quality of the league was really really good Uh, we trained and, and played at the national sports stadium so there was a training pitch outside the main stadium the main stadium was 75,000 seater uh, and there was four internationals in the, in the squad that I have so it was football wise it was good and and you know what a wonderful uh, life experience it really was yeah so uh, what what did you what did you learn that you could bring back to you know, every experience gives you something in football so what what did you learn from Africa that you you could brought back and you thought would benefit when you go into a club when you go into an environment 
don't try and treat, change things too quickly. Take a step back. Uh, certainly try and certainly try and uh, get across your vision, your values, and your behaviours. But maybe make those changes in a much more controlled manner rather than going in with a sledgehammer. Okay, that's. Now, I think. Sean, I, I'd love to know. I don't want to be jumping forward too much here. And like we were saying, when we seen the link from Galway to Zimbabwe straight yeah. away, I was like, man, that's, that's so interesting. But just to separate, you know, you know, rumor from to reality. Yeah. Yeah. Is it was it correct on how bad of a term that it ended? You know, I was saying somewhere that it ended in terms of death threats to yourself <laughs> and money owed. How, how much of that is reality, or was right. it that bad of a situation? I was owed money, absolutely no doubt about that. Uh, I was owed money because I, I had a two-year contract. Death threats. I I, I remember coming home and, and my family were distraught, and I was like, I didn't see all this stuff until I come home. Yeah. So. Unfortunately, I, I, you know, I think if you go back through my career, there's, I, 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 I certainly felt some of the media gave me a hard time and a bad rap, and I just think it was a lot of those stories were cooked up. And it, it, look, sometimes there's certain newspapers where the, the truth and a good story, there's a bit of a gap there. Okay. Yeah, because even at that, and then when you said that you went to uh, Black Leopard in South Africa, yeah. it was I seen it was penned as uh, Sean went into exile to manage uh, <laughs> in South Africa. It's <laughs> like God, I, there has to be you know uh, a little bit of a Mickey Mouse story behind that of a man. Nah, listen, I, I my work permit in Zimbabwe let, rung out, so I, I had to leave the country. And then when I actually took the job, and 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 it, listen, if it hadn't been that bad, I wouldn't have went back to South Africa. And South Africa is, is, is a beautiful country. And again, at six internationals in the team, you know, and, you know, you're getting up every morning, you're going to training at half past eight and it's going to be warm and it's beautiful, you know. I remember going to training one morning with Black Leopards and we, we trained at a rugby club and it was it was what I thought was sort of a beautiful morning. So I was in my shorts and my T-shirts. And when the players came out for training, they were wearing hats and gloves and jackets. <laughs> <laughs> and they were going, Coach, Coach, you're mad, it's cold. And I says, no, lads, no, you don't know what cold is. This is an Irish summer to us, boys. <laughs> you, should, you should have brought them to pre-season to, to, to Ireland. That would have been an interesting one. Brought them to Malachi. Uh, hey, them boys got a load of Bally Buffet, good God. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what have you made of the League of Ireland so since then you've been away from the League of Ireland because you went to Institute yep. what have you made for, of the League of Ireland's development over those years since you've been away and how it's, it seems to have progressed I think I remember when I first came back and, and maybe two three years ago they were really talking up the quality in the league and I thought they were being disrespectful to the quality back in 2004, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, because, you know, Shelburne were a really strong team. Uh, Drogheda were strong. Cork were strong. Derry were strong. Bohemians were strong. Eventually, we built a strong team at Dundalk. So I think people got carried away. But for me, I think the biggest improvement that I've seen is in the structures around the first teams, the introduction of academies. Uh, you see now people coming in, uh, doing roles of director of football, head in recruitment. So the, the, the professionalism around the clubs, I think, has, has increased. Has the actual quality of the of the game changed much? I, I thought the League of Ireland was always decent quality, you know. I certainly think from a period up in the north, they've closed the gap. I think I've, play, I've, I've been to the couple of games there 
over the first two games, uh, Derry Shams and then Derry Schlager Rovers. And I was pleasantly surprised with the quality on show. Um, the Derry Rovers game, the wind just sort of destroyed the game. But last night's game was really good football. Okay, and you were at that. You were on uh, radio commentary uh, yes. last night. So uh, we'll we'll dip into just what happened over the weekend. So you were at them at them games. Derry City, what do you make of their credentials this year? They're really putting out the boat this year with long-term contracts. They're, they're showing a vision. They're showing that there's going to be patience. Rory Higgins given a five-year contract. That was huge. Now his backing staff have it. Uh, he's getting players in with long-term contracts. So it shows that there is, uh, as you were t- talking about already, a vision and a patience that could see something develop, but it's not as easy as that either. No, it's not. Uh, what I like about Derry is that Philip O'Doherty is, they've, they've obviously got a vision in place there. And the fact that he's given Rory, Ronan Boyce signed a four-year contract. Uh, a lot of the other boys are on three-year contracts. So what that gives, that gives you, if you're as a manager, you've got continuity. You've got time to work and shape that squad into how you want and the players as well. There's a wee bit of... Some people can say players would get complacent. I, I take the opposite. I think players get comfortable, uh, realise, you know what, I'm here for three years, so they want me. And there's nothing better. And I think if, if you're a coach and if you can tell them, I want you playing for me, you're going to get the best of them. So there's a lot of hype around Derry. It's funny because you hear from the Dublin media, it's a big spend in Derry City, you know. Let's ignore what Chalmers Growers have spent over the last couple of years. And the dog. <laughs> And that's, that's good that they're spending money. And I think Rory Higgins has signed. I think they'll do it quicker than, than you would expect when bringing in all those new players. So there's a real vibe. Three and a half, over 3,000 people at the first two games. Unbelievable. And the Brandywell, when I was managing, was a nightmare place to go. You know, and there used to be that slope about seven foot from one corner to the other corner. But now they've, they've got a really modern stadium, but they've got that atmosphere back. And I think, I think they'll be. I don't think they'll win it. I still think Shamrock Rovers will have too much for them. But I think they're they're on the way to to, to closing that gap and to, I think, winning the league within that three to four year period. Okay, Nathan, what you you've seen uh, a bit of Derry this season, yeah. and there has been a change. Uh, will Patchen went to Dundalk, and from Derry in his first part when he was with Derry, he, he wasn't, you know, standing out as 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 brilliant. But he went. Back to Dundalk, did relatively well there, and 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 he started off this season very well. How do you see Dundalk? What way do you see them progressing? Are, are you the same as Sean? Do you think it's it's going to be just a little bit too far this season, and and over the next couple of years that they're going to really push? I think as well one interesting point that's sort not going under the radar, but like Sean said in the media, it's all about big spending Derry City. But the players, they, they had a good core group of players towards the back end of last season under Rory. You know, see, like I said, Ronan Boyce, uh, saw a new four-year deal. Kieran Harkin in the middle, one of the most underrated players last year for me. I thought he was absolutely fantastic in the middle of that Derry City midfield. And Jamie McGonagall, that's one that you know we I, we done it ourselves, Roy, didn't we? Talked about Michael Duffy, Shane McElhenney coming in, but you're already seeing it. In a, in a couple of opening games, Jane McGonagall up top uh, for Derry City is going to be absolutely huge. Um, just, I know we can look at the goal against Shamrock Rovers, the winning goal. Pigo Lopez uh, made a bad mistake, but he had a lot to deal with that goal as well. You know, it's just a cool, calm, collective. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think the Copy Series challenges this season, I said it uh, before, and a ball was kicked, but 
looking at them here, you know, looking at the squad, I've decided to side the Shamrock Rovers <clears throat> in terms of depth. It's no comparison at all. Nobody's in comparison to Shamrock Rovers in terms of squad depth, but if they can, you know, take a bit of time to gel together, I, I think they could be serious contenders. Um, unfortunately, Pat's on their side that we've been talked about. They got off to a bad start now, well, it's extremely early days. Yeah, it's already looking like Derry City could push over. So I think they really could this season. I, I, I really, really do. I, I think they could push them a long way this year. Yeah, and something that you were saying, Sean, when you look at the league, I'm looking at Bowes here, I'm looking at Pats, uh, even Dundalk now. You're talking about the three and four years players get comfortable to get in a unit and they probably get the best out of them. Uh, these teams have chopped and changed over the last few years, albeit they've got uh, good, consistent part from Dundalk uh, results. Uh, Bohemians and Keith Long is doing an amazing job there having to recycle that cl- team all the time. But if they all got a, a settled team and they all got longer term contracts you, you you might see them challenge actually for the league which they which they haven't really done uh, even Pats last year you say they were challenging for the league they were chasing all the time yeah. wouldn't they yeah I think I think uh, the long term contracts I said it gives continuity it allows you to build uh, going to what, what Nathan said McGonagall has really really improved uh, McGonagall played against us when he was at Crusaders uh, and he was good but I've seen him go up another 15, 20% since he's moved to Derry. And I think uh, I think the league suits him. There's a wee bit more football played. Maybe the style at Derry suits him better than what it did at Crusaders, who would be perceived to be a bit more direct. Uh, and like Nathan said, his goal the other night, the, the, it, when he picked the ball up, he had a lot to do. And the wee rollover, just to, to, to lose his man, shift the ball, and then you know to put it in almost in the opposite corner that he was going across yeah. was fantastic. Nathan, when you look at the likes of UCD and Shells, you're kind of expecting nearly that result of nil-nil on Monday night. Uh, Shells did pick up points, though. Uh, no, not, I wouldn't say surprisingly either against Drogheda. Uh, do, you th- do you think Damien Duff's perceived mentality, uh, wanting the best out of players, not having a certain level, which he obviously played at the, the, the highest level, do you think that's going to be good enough to keep Shells up? Yeah, I think it is. I, I, I wouldn't actually worry about Shells this season, to be honest with you, Roy. Um, I, I, I don't think they'd be in much trouble. I think if you look at squads like underneath them, like, don't get me wrong, they should, if they got three points against UCD, these are games that they should be winning. Even though, look, straight to Andy Moyler, I think UCD uh, he's done well the first couple of games. Obviously, with the opening game against Rovers, that was always going to be an uphill task to them. But, yeah, look, going back to Shells for a second, um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't worry about them at all. It's a really good squad of players there. I uh, got to watch a bit of the game against Drotty United. You know, Ayr Dervin, Mark, uh, Coyle, both of them in, in the middle of the park for Shelburne look like they could be inspired signings. Dan Carr up top still looks a little bit off the pace, whether that's a lack of fitness, um, it's meant to be seen. But, yeah, no, I, I, I think to be fine this season. Okay. Is it a good thing having the likes of Damien Duff coming into the league, Sean? I think so. I think you just said it about he brings he brings a level of standard that that I think is, is should be embraced at every club, you know. And um, I'm quite sure that every other manager in the league has those similar standards. You make a good point, you know. Will the fact that Damien's played at that high level will he almost be a bit Roy Keane-esque and get frustrated with his players? That would be interesting to see if he can if he can work with those younger players and and maybe accept the mistakes that they're going to make and maybe yeah. accept you know that they can't quite do the things or you know I think that's that's one I, I'm a great fan of Roy Keane but I think that's one of his biggest problems in management that he can't quite grasp or understand why 
you know, players don't behave the way that he would have behaved and, yes. or have the standards that he expects. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge weakness in, in being a manager. You have to be uh, very patient with certain players at times. Sean, I'm going to stick with you on this one because I want you to comment on just on same paths because Nathan obviously will... Uh, He'd love to hear your opinion on them. It's 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 very surprising, really, isn't it? The, the, the beaten by Bowes and beaten by Sligo, of course. They started off relatively well, and people from last season are expecting them to kick on and really challenge. Last two results aren't going to help, are they? I was shocked by the last two results because I thought in the in the first match against Shelburne they were excellent. I thought I thought Owen Doyle was a really clever signing, mm. a really good bit of business. Uh, it looked like Forrester was back to his best uh, and they looked to have plenty of energy going. And I would have said, you know, my top three would have been Shams, then maybe Pats and Derry. Uh, I would have to have reservations over them now. Uh, maybe they've got a bit of a soft underbelly. Um, maybe all is not as, as... And then there's obviously that Stephen O'Donnell leaving, you know, how will that impact the squad? Uh, what what legacy did that leave? You know, is there things there that that, that was a strange one? And as you say, like that they performed really really well in the cup. It could be just early season blip. You know, those first six or seven games. Um, but I look at the squad. They've got experience. They've got some really good quality players there. I would expect them to be certainly in the top four. Yeah. Um... Nathan, Stephen Bradley has done a great job with Shamrock Rovers, but we won't talk about this Stephen Bradley. Stephen Bradley from Dundalk has really set a light that that team, hasn't he? And uh, it was four goals in three games. Yeah, he's he's really... Some of the goals have been absolutely fantastic as well. Um, I've seen a tweet there today. Who who has he come from? He's come from Scotland. And I've seen a Hiberian, and it says... uh, don't bother Hibernian checking up on, on how he's getting on. He's absolutely rubbish. You're right to get rid of him. <laughs> uh, so uh, is that the type of player? We didn't expect these type of players to come in and, and make an impact. We were very cautious about anyone that was going to come in after last year. So uh, Stephen's definitely a positive. Uh, is there any others? Yeah, look, I'm just in fairness to Stephen O'Donnell, as I said to you before, um, his recruitment overall, like we've seen at Pats, is relatively good, you know, he, he has a good track record of doing that, you know, of bringing guys in, not only within the league, but from the outside. We've seen him at Pats, he brought in Paddy Barry, who had a fledgling legal oil and career, he was over in the Cambodia, and he turned out to be one of the most the well-received Pats players last season. So in fairness to, the, to O'Donnell, he does have that in his back pocket. Oh, if I look at early, what what are we talking like early signing of the seasons or something? Are we here? God. <laughs> um, That's what we do, Nathan. I know it is now. Yeah, making a quick uh, predictions. Not sure, actually. I'm trying to look at something like there was. I was excited about. Uh, I said to you before about Ryan Cassidy coming into Bohemians. I thought very very talented player. Seen for the uh, Ireland underage system. Um, he really should have more caps at that level, but he's just been so unlucky that it's such a talent field position he's in at the minute. I'd like to see how he gets on. Um, it's the draw of the centre half, Stephen uh, Rowan. It, by all accounts, I can't say I, I, I'm a, a connoisseur of his career, but there's been nothing but good things and a lot of people tipping him to be the next breakout star. So while that wouldn't be signing up the season so far, there are the two lads that I'm interested in looking at going forward and seeing how they get on. Okay. 
claps there, Nathan. Good man. Um, yeah, someone breaking into the house. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, man. Uh, Sean, when you look at the first division, Galway, uh, I mean, Cork got a great first re- result, 6 0 against Bray, and then Galway go and decide to, to turn them around in, in the next game. Uh, you've got the likes of Wexford who who got turned over by Treaty, then they go and beat Cove. <laughs> the league is so unpredictable. It's, it's very hard. Around maybe Waterford, everyone's kind of predicting Waterford to go on and, and win this league. But again, it's, ne- it's never that simple. I think the first division is really tricky to call. And I think, you know, you've only got to look at uh, Waterford because they come down should be should be the strongest. But I think Cork City have a fantastic club. What happened with Colin Healy? Will that affect them? Did that affect them against Galway? Okay, the, the money at Galway United is there. The, they probably expected to get, get up last year and they didn't. Uh, it'd probably be a three-horse race between those three clubs. Uh, one of the one, one of the other ones may come out of the pack, but I just think probably the finances and the quality at Cork, uh, Waterford, and and, and uh, Galway should 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 see. Just a quick point before we go on. You talked about uh, the the boy come from from uh, Hebron. Back in two thousand and seven, I brought Stephen O'Donnell from Falkirk, and uh, he turned out to be a pretty decent player. Yeah, that's true. That's true, yeah. and uh, and I believe you uh, you had Seamus Coleman down there as well in Sligo. I said Seamus right? Coleman is a seventeen-year-old. After uh, I took Sligo Rovers up to play the local team here in a pre- our very first pre- pre-season friendly, he played for twenty minutes, and uh, we spoke to him afterwards. And we took it took a, a week or two to get it over the line, but yeah, we signed Seamus. Yeah. And how was Seamus? What kind of character was he? Can you Great. see the same character in him now that you see then? Hundred percent. When, when when after the game. He, he played centre-back and I, I spoke to Darren Mantram and uh, some of our players and I thought, what, what do you think of the young lad there? He was the only player in their team that sort of looked to be one, he had real pace and real energy and he wasn't overawed by us, you know, and uh, and they all thought he was a handful. So it took Seamus a while to settle in, you know. It, when he first came down, he, he'd never trained full-time and that was a big thing for him. He'd never been away from home and uh, always made me laugh. He came into the office one day and, he was sort of, I, I don't think I'm going to do this. I don't think I can do this. And, you know, we would have done a lot of two-touch, one-touch and quite high intensity. And with, with good technical players, you know, Kadotovic, Hughes, Turner, uh, Singh, uh, Mantram, but really good, Conor O'Grady, really good players. Mm. And he sat in front of me in the office and I looked at him and I realised, I said, Seamus, I says, look, you're not in the squad at the weekend, son, so why don't you go back to Kalibags for the weekend and don't come back until Tuesday. And then if you still feel the same on Tuesday... You know, he come and see me. And we'll have a chat about it. And he never came never anywhere near me again. I just think he just needed to get home for the yeah. weekend. Yeah, yeah. But Seamus was the first one on the training ground, the last one off it, always asking questions. A coachable player, and you could just you could just see where he was going. You know, I tried to sign him for Bohemians, and uh, I don't think Sligo Rovers realised what they had because I think the manager who came in after me wanted to get rid of him. Oh, but, yeah. uh, we tried to sign Seamus, and Seamus's cousin was uh, uh, Desi Farrell, and we had it agreed that he would go and live with Desi Farrell, and but it no, it's never materialised. Like even now, it's still it's still one of the biggest bargain transfers in the Premier League history, isn't it? If you, if you look at what Seamus has done at Everton, hundred percent. And, and when he went over to Everton, I remember when he made his debut and against Spurs I was away on holiday and the, and the Liverpool actually phoned me up and they wanted to know how good this kid was and how good he was going to be and I just said that at that stage from what I knew about Seamus that 
he would eventually break himself into the first team and in my opinion would become an international you know and uh i didn't think he'd really go as do as well as he's done he's fantastic and he's a model professional and uh it's a nice wee thing to have in your cv it is because i went to everton um i want watched the, uh, them against Crystal Palace we were over there with the, the football club and playing different games and all that but we went in to see them and he was up against Zaha on the left hand side and everyone was talking you know Zaha up this fella is brilliant and I was really interested so the only thing I watched in the game was these two I was in, so interested in just this battle and Zaha gave it everything to go at Seamus and Seamus never gave him a sniff and after 20 minutes Zaha finished he just gave up Unbelievable. Seamus would have absolutely relished that and probably yeah. read the stuff in the paper or listened to the stuff and that was right up his street that was like challenge to him you know yeah and as yeah. i say when he came back to us once he realized i actually remember him saying to me that when he went to first went to everton he realized the standard was up but he he talked to himself and he says well i remember when i first went into sligo and i thought i wasn't going to make it and i just put my head down and worked hard and he comes from a, a, he's got a really good family background his parents were always supportive without being pushy and always just there for him and uh no he would love that battle he would relish that battle I think that's the Gillick footballer in him as well. I think that's probably what it is. That's a bit of Irishness in him. You know, we like a little bit of a challenge. Okay, uh, Nathan, the Women's National League kicks off this weekend. Um, it, it's interesting because there's a question that we have out there. Uh, we talked about it last year and we, we're going to bring it in because we'll, we'll ask Sean after yourself, Nathan. But should every League of Ireland club at this stage have a women's team? Do you know what? I'm going to pick on one team in particular, Roy. Because uh, I understand the cost that goes into it and it might not be feasible for everybody. But for me, the fact that Shamrock Rovers haven't, haven't put a, a, a women's team together is crazy. If you look at the resources, and not in the training facility that they have out in uh, Roadstone. <coughs> yeah, I think if it was to pick on one team, it, it, it would be themselves. Because like we're seeing it, Slugger Rovers are making their debut in the Women's National League. Uh, I think it's in Piemont. In the open, the opening fixtures on Saturday, uh, this Saturday coming the fifth. Five o'clock, five o'clock on Saturday, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that if it was, if it was going to buddy one team into it, I'd be surprised that uh, Shamrock Rovers haven't done it yet. <clears throat> yeah, what's your take on it, Sean? I think it's the way the way the way going, and I know there's 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 grants and there's stuff available to help the clubs do that. I think it's it's the way of the world now. I think it's 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 making your club part of the community and attracting you know attracting female players i think is is only good i think stevie feeney's managing the ladies team and stevie played for me fantastic guy great feet great great really clever footballer so uh, and i know he was coaching at balna mallard so i think stevie will do a really good job there but uh, i think it's important now that every club embraces uh, the women's game and uh, there's some really good quality matches there when you go and watch oh, yeah. them and the international team's doing reasonably well as well so and up, up north, Northern Ireland, or Kenny Shields has, has got the Northern Ireland women's team going really, really well. So yeah. it's a big part of the game. It's a big growth. And I think, as I say, if you can develop your women's, your women's team and attract uh, more young girls into, the, into, into your, your first team games, it's going to be better for the, the overall the family feel of, of everything around the club. Yeah, yeah Nathan, I see yeah, yeah, I see it. I see it week in, week out up at our football club up in Lucan United. Uh, on a on a Sunday, especially, all the pitches are covered just in girls playing football, which is absolutely brilliant. And it, the the great part of it is, it used to be that when there was girls teams, the level 
was wasn't a great level and and people kind of look down at it a little bit as to say ah oh, they're just out for it but the level of football now the level of footballers now because they're they're mixed in with the boys when they're starting off you know from eights nines tens up to elevens or whatever and then they're the the, the level is really really good um. The Women's National League is free on LOI TV, isn't that correct, yeah, Nathan? It is, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be on that, uh, uh, the LOI show as well, the highlight package, so it's going to be included in that. And as well, we've seen it last year, they, they were added to the Eritristi sponsorship as well, so the, the, it's the Eritristi Women's National League. So these are all things that are only going to benefit the marketing and the pushing of the league, because like I said, Roy, these young girls, you know, they, 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 the women in these leagues are going to become heroes local heroes to, to these girls and someone that they can look up to and someone that they can relate to and someone that they can you know achieve to be so it is like, like Sean was saying brilliantly it, it does just makes everything much more accessible and now all of a sudden if we can promote the league and develop the women's national league mm-hmm. there's already now a pathway from like I said to these uh, young girls playing in Luke and they can move themselves up and, and achieve to, to hopefully play in the women's national league one day yeah, I remember uh, I coached Taylor Toland. She played at Maiden City, and I was doing some coaching up there. And it was a boys, I think it was an under 14 match, but it was in, it was down in, I'd have been outside Drogheda. And she was the best player on the pitch. And I remember afterwards telling them that, you know, Taylor was the best player on the pitch, and she was the best player on the pitch because she took the instructions from the coach, literally carried them out. And I actually said there, the last player I had like that, was Seamus Coleman and he didn't do too bad. And uh, Tyler's gone on. I think she's at is she at South Glasgow City or something like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do find that when when you're coaching the boys and the girls, the girls take in information yeah. really, really well. So uh, yeah, I, and and promise to be like I have a daughter. Uh, she's only two, by the way, but uh, her mother thinks she's going to be a princess and, and a ballerina and all, but uh, I'm sneaking the, rolling the old footballs up to her feet every now and again. So, you know, it's uh, but it's great that it's out there and, and that they have that all the facilities out there to now to be able to play during the winter and, you know, with Astros and all that sort of stuff. And that the girls now, when they hit a certain age, which it always was when they hit about 14 or 15, they gave up football and then they didn't do any hobbies at all whatsoever. So now they're really getting into it. So I'm chuffed and I hope that the Women's National League improves tenfold. But I think League of Ireland clubs, especially who haven't, like Nathan said, uh, need to step up to the plate and get something there so uh, these girls can have something to aim for okay uh, Roddy Collins announced his book this week uh, The Rod Father it's uh, Nate I'll start with you it's it's bound to be a cracker isn't it maybe Sean's in there somewhere uh, I can't wait with this one, mate. It might shock you to, to know, lads. I'm not a big reader. Uh, it's, it's, it's not me nature. Like everybody, every other Irish football fan, I opened up champagne football to give that a gander when it came out. But yeah, the Rod Fire that's going to be dropping uh, in October 2022. So yeah, we look forward to that one. Look, Sean, I have to ask you while you're on here with us yourself and, and the Rod Fire that Roddy Collins would have managed around the same time uh, he did. in the League of Ireland. Any interactions with Roddy? Uh, any memorable moments that stand out to you? Plenty of interactions with Roddy. A real so, yeah. so I would have managed against Roddy when he was at Shamrock Rovers in Dublin City. Uh, and then uh, I worked with Roddy for a year on Monday Night Soccer. You know, right. so uh, in terms of management, the first encounter I had with Roddy was uh, pre-season when I just took over Sligo Rovers. Shamrock Rovers were in the Premier Division, so we're first division, 
And I remember going to the board and saying, look, I'm going to get Shamrock Rovers up here. And they thought that was fantastic because they'll bring a crowd and we haven't played, they hadn't played, the two Rovers hadn't played for a long, long time. So Roddy comes up and he was negotiating. Uh, they wanted to, uh, they wanted us to cover their costs of the bus or something. And I was trying to keep all the money for our club. Anyway, we agreed for a certain amount of money. And so we were chatting before the game and I said, Roddy, look, listen, I think it was a two o'clock kickoff. So I said, look, after the game, I have a bottle of red wine here. So we're going to have a glass of red wine and, you know, have a chat. And we were both talking about the season. And I was going, I, I'm I'm quietly confident that we'll, we'll get up. And he was very confident, as Roddy would be. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't be like him. <laughs> but he said to me, he says, to be honest with you, if we don't win three or four nil today, I'll be really disappointed. So I said, well, look, listen, we'll have a glass of wine no matter who wins. So I think we won one nil. Oh, they're, they're out the gate and there's, there's no, there's no, no word. <laughs> and then when, when you used to do Monday night soccer with Roddy, you'd be on the couch. And if you were talking, Roddy would just put his hand, put, put his hand on your knee. I to stop you. That was you saying, hey, be quiet now, it's my turn. Oh, God. Do you know what? I really, I really, I love Roddy Collins. I will definitely buy that book. I, I, yeah. I read a lot of books. A lot of I would read a lot of management books, and I haven't read Champagne Soccer because I, I sort of was around then. So I, I, it's just it hasn't interested me. Roddy's yeah. book will interest me, and uh, I didn't want to give too, too, too away too many of my stories because I think with my escorts in Africa and stuff like that, I have, I have a book with me in a couple of years' time as well. You'll have to go back to out to Africa for the photo shoot, you know, wearing <laughs> the traditional uh, attire. Um, the one thing, the one thing I'll say about Roddy is, do you know what? Every job he took on, he really he lived it and he really yeah. embraced yeah. the job, you know. And uh, not too many characters like Roddy about now. No, there's not. Tell us because it does. There are certain managers that get taken for just the personality. I suppose uh, when you look at Finn Harps. Uh, and you, then you look at uh, Roddy as well. They, they always go, "Oh, the manager's a real character," but they never really give him the praise that yep. they deserve. Uh, was Roddy a good manager? Did he know his football inside out? Roddy, Roddy Collins was a knew the game inside out and upside down. Roddy managed the Carlay. Yeah, you know, Roddy was was working in England. Uh, Roddy was a shrewd operator. Uh, understand and and. Roddy's teams could play, but they could also dig in and get results. And I would think he was—he he would be a, what you would call a pragmatic manager. Roddy mm. was was able to do whatever he thought he had to do to get results. So sometimes that bravado and that character, I think, maybe did him a disservice because I think you know he was a a cleverer coach than, than what I found him. I found him engaging. I found him. You could have a you could have a row with Roddy, and as soon as the game's over, it's forgot about. And uh, he's a really now he's he's good company, good company. Yeah, Nathan, just on 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 Roddy, there's been times uh, we talked about it before where he would lay into some people and it wouldn't make him look uh, look well at all. You know, he probably lashed even Kenny over or whoever was an Ireland manager yeah. or what have you, and nearly in the same breath saying that he'd do a better job which is great to have the confidence but sometimes you know maybe you don't need to say some stuff and just put your point across 
Yeah, yeah, we've seen it before, haven't we? He's done, um, like yourself, Sean, I know he's done freelance work it, it, it for, um, was it the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday World or the Sun? Who was he with? I know he's done some articles with uh, his, Sunday uh, World. Paper. Sunday World, was it? Yeah, yeah. So he had, fairness, and he's transitioned into that side uh, uh, very well, you know, makes the transition from football into media. <clears throat> um, I suppose one that I'd like to ask, probably the theory is now, um, is there a, would, would there be a place for Roddy Collins in today's League of Ireland? You know, we're, I say even from uh, what you would have started off with, Sean, to now, the, just, the dressing rooms as a whole and the atmosphere in the dressing rooms must be completely different different with the personnel that are inside it. So would someone like Roddy Collins thrive in modern-day League of Ireland football? I think Roddy would, would adapt and find a way. You know, I think... Uh... I think he really loves the game. It'd be inter- wouldn't it be interesting to have Roddy Collins as your chairman? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, it, it, he couldn't take the job unless he uh, had a camera behind him, I would say, anyhow, because he does like to have the focus on him. And that's what I'm saying. Sometimes you think, well, God, is that is is that as you said, is that his downfall? Is, is does he does he should he do his business quietly at times? And albeit, you know, it, it's great because he gets pe- the attention of people. So I'm sure that uh, the, the, for the clubs can get great, you know, attendances and interest from the media and everything from him. But sometimes he just maybe says stuff that well, he doesn't really need to say. I think I think as well the same people who build him up and almost encourage him are the same ones that eventually are trying to knock him down. Yeah. Yeah. And what about, say, because I just hinted at Ollie Horgan, what do you think of Ollie as a manager? Because again, he's that type of manager who people kind of, I don't know if they say they put their nose up to, but they're kind of, they have a laugh, Ollie's a character, as if, yeah. as if you can't be a character and a good manager. Well, again, Ollie, I, I was only speaking to Ollie last week. Uh, listen, the job he has done at Finn Harps over the last five years has been admirable and uh, he's worked with a budget that is really, really difficult. And year on year, we talked about Derry sort of signing three, four. Every, Ollie has to build a team every other, every year. Yeah. Uh, so I admire Ollie Horgan. And again, you don't survive in the league. You don't survive at a club like that for that amount of time without being a good, a, a good manager. Now, is Ollie the manager that well, for me, it's probably only downfall as he doesn't seem to bring through young players. But if you know, he know he can he knows a good player. He knows an experienced player. He gets his team playing the way he wants them to play, and he certainly gets his teams working for them. So, uh, does that mean you th- does that mean you think he's a good fit with Finn Harps? Would he be a good fit with Shamrock Rovers? Yeah, I think I think we all. I think there's all there's certain managers suit certain clubs. You know, you've only got to look at look Jurgen Klopp as Liverpool. Yeah. You know, his personality, uh, his mannerisms just suit Liverpool. Uh, would Gua- would Guardiola suit Liverpool? I, I don't know. So certainly, I couldn't see Roddy. I couldn't see Ollie managing Shamrock Rovers. You know. Yeah. 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 Okay, we'll we'll leave the Roddy Collins there because we'll definitely talk more about him when the book comes out and uh, we'll even try and get Roddy on, uh, although that might be a, a three-parter, I'd say, if we got him uh, talking. Nathan, I'm only asking for a signed copy. Yeah, dude, oh, that, dude. yeah I, I, that, You know what, Sean, you'd see that on my back wall there, just hung up, quite <laughs> <enjoy>. <laughs> uh, Nathan, do you have a fan's question? 
I actually do, uh, Sean. I've uh, we give us a get fan question sent in, not fans of the show, just fans of League of Ireland. Because uh, we are like three fans of the show, so I get free boarding. Um, but actually, so I, so I did. I, I funnily enough, we got a fan question sent in about yourself. But I actually have one or two questions that I'd like to run through if you don't mind. I know you've been very generous with your time. Um, look, starting off, I know, and go back to the start of your career with Sligo Rovers. Yeah. Is there any truth to the fact that you were actually recommended uh, by Steve Bruce for the Sligo Rovers job? I well, I was I applied for the job, and at that stage, I was working with Steve uh, at Birmingham as in charge of the press and the media, and so me and him would have got quite close. And Sligo Rovers, three members of the board, come over to meet me. And yeah, Steve Bruce and David Gold invited them to be guests at a Birmingham City against uh, Lincoln City in a, uh, a League Cup match. Steve had them in his office before the game. We, they had a tour of the training ground, and Steve basically said that look, if I got the job, he would be he would help me with players or whatever way that he could help me. So yes, he he was very much involved in that. Yeah, really, because like I was saying to Sean off camera, that I'm living in Sligo myself, and I said to a few lads that I work with, like to be Sligo Rovers fans, and all yeah. of a sudden these myth and rumours start coming out, and one of them like, oh yeah, Steve Bruce got him the job at Sligo. I was like, Steve Bruce got him, like, recommend the job. So just while you were here, I, I, I had to pull you on that one. Yeah. Uh, so on to the fan question, uh, Sean, this was sent in by a lad. By the way, Steve always re- also recommended me to go to Bohemians. <laughs> Did he? Yeah, oh, there you go, <laughs> Steve kissed <laughs> <laughs> Steve, yeah, fair play to him. Uh, well, I remember speaking to him, and I, I really was—I I didn't know what to do. And I phoned up and said, "Steve, look, I've got this chance." And he said, "What's the budget?" Do do do. And he said, "Listen, son, if it's a big job, a big budget, you have to take it because if you don't take it, you may not get offered a big job again." Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's like you were saying off camera, Sean, wasn't it, that when your, your departure with Slugger Rovers, it's, it's got misconstrued, hasn't it, o- over the years where you were saying it, it went, it was controversial. And I've yeah. seen people pulling old, old quotes out, you know, saying you were never accepted. But in the grand scheme of things, like you were saying to us, Sean, that you, you simply left one job to take another job for a bigger budget. Do you know, I, that's, I, I've seen that quote time and time again. I was never, And I, I, I don't actually ever remember saying that because... Yeah. For two years, I loved living in Sligo. For you know, my, my my father, my uncles, my friends used to come down to Sligo Rovers match every Saturday night. And it was, and and Sligo won at the showgrounds on a Saturday night. And then when the team won, the town was buzzing. You know, I won the league with Sligo Rovers. Uh, I took Sligo Rovers back into the Premier Division. I left a really really good team. And one of my biggest regrets is probably, you know, maybe I should have stayed and see what I could have done with that team. But you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing and. Anybody in any profession, if you're given an opportunity to go somewhere where you know you've you've doubled the budget to work with, you're, you're being better paid yourself. I would I would like to see how many people actually would have turned that down, you know. And it used to disappoint me, but even like recently, I went to, went to watch Slagger Rovers last last season, and some of the fans will always say, "Listen, you did a fantastic job. You were brilliant." And so to me, there was no controversy over me leaving Sligo Rovers. It was just a football manager and a young football manager making a decision that he thought was was going to better his career at the time. Yeah, like you said, like you won the first division with them, and not even that. The first year back in the Premier Division, you you, it was, you got them into fifth place. You got them yep. into the semi final yep. of the FEI yep. Cup. Semi final of the cup. Yeah, yeah. It's not like it wasn't like if. You were, you were sacked or you left him on bad terms. Like you say, you no. left him in, in good fettle completely. Yeah, some really good friends at Sligo. You know, Mary McGann yeah. was magnificent, the best club secretary I've ever worked with. 
um, you know, Michael Toulon, Ray Gallagher, Fergal Keaveney, some really, really good people at Sligo. Really good. In fairness, and, and we'd say a lot here, um, don't we, Roy, that the, the community work that Sligo do, you know, it's it, it's unbelievable. I'd say myself, my own father in law is a massive Sligo Rover supporter, and yeah. he's a massive, you know, the, the, the work that he does in terms of fundraising and trying to help the club is brilliant, and we, we do recommend him time and time again. Mary, uh, Mary McGrath's father, Packy, used to go. Uh, Friday nights around the pubs collecting money for Sligo Rovers and I remember on a couple of occasions I went with him and he just walked around and chatted to people and got money off them it was fantastic and uh, the sad actually the sad thing about Sligo Rovers I I, I looked I tried to get back there twice and I didn't I got interviewed but I didn't get it and it, this is the difference I think between England and Ireland if I'd have been managing, if Sligo Rovers had been an English team and I'd have managed them, had the success I had, left, and then the job come up again, I'd have been welcomed back with open arms because yeah. I did a good job there. And, you know, that didn't happen at Sligo. So I think some people, as you say, thought I left under controversial circumstances. I'm a professional football manager and I left for professional reasons, nothing else. And listen, your story is your story. I mean, you, you, when you look back, you say, oh, you know, maybe I look back and Sligo, I could have done maybe this or that with it. But then you never would have got that chance with Bose and then you would have been kicking yourself now about the Bose situation. So, uh, and of course, then you wouldn't have hit Africa, learned your stuff and then back into to the north again. So, I mean, you, you have to follow your path and, and that's just the way it is, you know, and, and I think yeah. you, I, I think you made the right decision. Nathan, a fan's question. Yeah, yeah, we've been on this way, we've been on this for a few minutes have me poor uh, Bradley Eccles are sitting with uh, bated breath waiting to hear this answer uh, so Sean here's the one for you uh, for someone like yourself that's been experienced uh, in your playing career and managing career with League of Ireland and the Northern Northern Football League and with those two leagues what what league do you feel is you know it's setting up for a brighter future out of the League of Ireland and the yeah. Northern, Northern okay. Football League who do you think can do more going forward I certainly think uh, they're really getting their act together in the north. I think uh, there's a real prog- progression up there. You know, Linfield have gone full time. Uh, Crusaders have a fantastic facility, great plans. Uh, Larne, Kenny Bruce is doing magnificent work at Larne. Cliftonville are, are, are a fantastic club. Mick McDermott at Glen Thorne, they're, they, they, they're a magnificent team to watch to play. So, if you'd have asked me five years ago, I said the League of Ireland's in a better position. I think now the gap is closed and it's getting really, really close. And I just think, I look, the answer is, you know what? I would love to see an All-Ireland League. I would love to see the top six or seven teams from the north against the top six or seven down here. And I just think, I think if we did that, with over time, we'd be as good as the, the SPL. I really do. So right now... I still think the League of Ireland is, is is slightly better in terms of the quality of football that's played by most of the teams, uh, but the gap is closing. It really is closing, and uh, you know, Linfield, Linfield, Glentoran, Cliftonville, Crusaders, uh, Coleraine would all be very, very competitive in the League of Ireland and up near the top. Yeah, you took my question away there, Sean. So I'll ask, what? What is the failings of the league up the north? Are they similar to what it is down south, i.e., facilities and stuff? Yeah, I think it is. There's, you know, I've mentioned Crusaders, which is a magnificent stadium. Linfield play at Windsor Park. You know, uh, Coleraine have re- revamped their stadium, but there's still one or two grounds that are that, that are poor to go to. I think 
they're get there's certainly the media coverage and the television coverage around the the Irish League at the moment is probably just above what 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 we're doing down here. You know, well, they're on Sky, aren't they? Yeah, they're on Sky and the BBC carry live matches. Yeah, they have a they have a highlight show on a Tuesday night, and uh, you know Radio Ulster have have a sports sound every Saturday, which is basically six hours dedicated to to the all the all the soccer games going on that Saturday. So, uh, yeah, it's it's. There's very, there's really is very little between the two leagues, and, and as I say, five years ago that wasn't the case. So maybe you've got to say that up north they're they're, they're certainly getting their acting gear and and closing that gap. And you've 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 seen the inside of maybe the thought process behind um, not wanting an All Ireland League up there. So what what is the reasons simply to do with you know afraid to lose your European spots? Um, you know maybe afraid to get relegated down a few divisions if there was a few divisions uh, with the two leagues joining up together. It, and of course, then the biggest thing probably is the federations and, and there's jobs there that people probably don't want to lose. I think you've hit the nail on the head with that last one. I think that's I think that's a big stumbling block and uh, everybody's not everybody doesn't want to say that and the people in charge are oh well there's this and there's that. I think that's the main stumbling block. I think yeah certainly clubs would consider, you know, well, you know, if, if it's a Linfield or a Glentorn, you know, well we're always challenging for the league here or Larn. And if we go down there there's going to be more competition. But I think Real sports people, real football people would would embrace that competition and would understand that that's only going to make them better. So I think for me, the big stumbling block is more at the administration level. Now, I could yeah. be wrong, but that's my opinion. Yeah, I, I've the very same opinion. So I, I'd love to see it. And I think if there was more money on the table, which there has been talk of, that y- you can build a better league, as you said, challenging something like the, the Scottish Premier Division and, and their, their whole league set up. And, and that's where we want to go. We want to improve. Like, I mean, uh, for us down south and for, I, I'm, I'm, again, I'm not totally sure on what way it is viewed up the north. But for us down south, I think uh, uh, the majority of people would like to see it because it would make it a lot more interesting as well, you know. So, um, and I'm sure there'd be a few uh, interesting away days <laughs> as yeah. well in the, the league, like, you know. Like the old uh, Panda Sports Club days. They, they used to be some uh, lively trips, to say the least. Some dock at Windsor Park would be a good one. That would be yeah. an interesting <laughs> one, hugely. Okay, listen, we're going to leave it there. Uh, Nathan, thanks very much as always. Uh, Sean, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. And... Uh, Best of luck with the, the the future with any jobs that come up because uh, you're not finished football. You're you're still out there. You're still ready to get back involved in football. I, I'm te- I'm nearly telling you, but is that right? <laughs> oh, listen, hundred percent. Look, uh, I, I took a break there. I went back to university. Uh, I did my degree and did a master's in sports psychology. I actually think I'm in a better position now to manage than I was uh, when I was managing the League of Ireland what ten years ago. So I, I've still got. I still think. I still believe that I've got one really, really big job in me. And the secret now is is finding the right club with the right vision, with the right people behind the scenes who wanna who wanna have a who wanna have a build something over three or four years because I really would like to see what I could do, you know. Yeah, well unfortunately you missed out on the dairy job, so we'll see what's left there for you. <laughs> they, they, they selected really well. That Rory Higgins was a yeah, yeah. fantastic footballer and uh, got really good experience working under Stephen at Dundalk and I'm quite sure Stephen would have helped Rory get that job as well, but uh, I think I think he's got a he's got a big job on his hands, but I think he's more than capable of being successful up there. 
Absolutely. Um, for everyone who's watched today, thanks very much. And uh, if you're on the move and you can't get to watch on YouTube, don't forget you can listen to the podcast on all all and any major podcast providers and vice versa. As I said, if you want to look at our ugly mugs you, and you're listening to the podcast, do go onto YouTube. Uh, Sean, Nathan, thanks very much. Pleasure.